The Blue Hawaii Podcast is brought to you by Homebrew in Paradise. Yo, if you have one shot, one opportunity to brew everything you ever wanted, would you capture it or would you just let it slip? His brews are heavy, his knees weak, cider's ready, kimchi on his mind already, mom's spaghetti would suck if you didn't have homebrew, homebrew in paradise, go down there, the real nice guys, uh, that's all I got. But homebrew in paradise, that's the point. Go down to homebrew in paradise, they help you make the best beer, wine, cider, and fermented foods you could ever imagine. Get on down, 740 Moova Street, Kalihi. What's a cool thing that happened this week? Well, you probably saw this on our social media because we geeked out about it a little bit, uh, but... Anthony the Mooch Scaramucci, former White House communications Mooch. director, the Mooch, is following us on Twitter. Also, to be fair, I haven't checked since the day he followed us, so he may have unfollowed us after. To the best of our knowledge, he's following us, and we don't care if he's not. No. Because he followed us once. Because we're not like Steve Bannon. We're not trying to suck our own. Ooh. Moochie gang, moochie gang, moochie gang, moochie gang, moochie gang. Let's do the drop. Drop. I'm trying to tell the world I'm nothing to be trifled with. Staying hotter than some rifles. Welcome to Blue Hawaii. I'm Ryan. I'm Josh. No, wait, that's not right. That's never been right. I'm Josh. I'm Ryan. I'm Ron Burgundy. I'm Brian Fantana. How's it going, everybody? Rick, where did you get a trident? I killed the guy. You should lay low for a while. Oh, uh, man. Uh, how you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. We're uh, we're back. Episode six. Sace. Uh, don't know any other languages. Uh, Sept. Nope. That's that's seven. That's seven. And and that's next week. Yeah. Uh, prepare yourself for episode Sept, where I speak in French for one word. Ooh la la. <laughs> Ryan, did you watch the uh, the NBA All Star game? I watched a little bit. Well, it was you know. The new format, like Team Steph, Team LeBron, Team Captains, winners uh, get money, go to charity, losers got to pay out of their pocket, made it a much more compelling game, I think. Yeah, it was it was exciting. Uh, it ended on a defensive possession uh, or defensive stop. Which has never been said in the history yeah, of NBA All-Star LeBron games. and KD trapped Steph in the corner and yeah, try shooting over those guys. That's fine. Yeah. But the real highlight of the, of the event, and shout out to a friend of the show, Sean Callahan, for making sure we talk about this. Uh, did you see Fergie's... Beautiful rendition of our glorious national anthem. I did. And the faces of all the players that heard yeah. her singing it. Oh, Draymond Green's face. LeBron and Steph trying not to laugh. Oh, man. The best quote that I saw about it yeah. was, Fergie so woke, her voice knelt during the anthem. At Rembert Brown. Or at Sh- Rembert. Shout out at Rembert on Twitter. Yeah. Molly Knight tweeted, I've seen the national anthem performed hundreds of times, but never in the key of, happy birthday, Mr. President. Congratulations, Fergie. And of course, War Eagle, Charles Barkley, proud alum of War Dam. the of the Auburn University, says, I needed a cigarette after that anthem. It was a beautiful thing. Yeah. It was a beautiful thing. Very sexual. Listeners, if you watched the national anthem by one Fergie Ferg, get at us not on ASAP, Twitter. Not ASAP Ferg. I would much rather see ASAP Ferg do the national anthem. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Get at us in, on Twitter. Get at us on Instagram. Get at us on Facebook. Let us know. Whoever has the best comment slash joke about the anthem, or, shout you out next week. Or whoever can do the best Fergie impression. Or, yeah, sing it like Fergie. Yeah. Send us a recording, and we will play it live on air, guaranteed. 
Ryan, what's our plan for today? Well, we're going to do a couple of things. First, we're going to be debuting our new segment, News in Nine. Essentially, what we're going to do is we're going to set a timer for nine minutes, and we're going to give you all the local, national, international, global, galactic, worldwide, intergalactic, interstellar, universal news that you need to know. And I've got some intergalactic news for you today. Coming to you live from Gorgon 6. Gorgon 6. In the Nebulon region. Then what we're going to do is take a new mailbag question. This one's going to be on the high cost of college and why it's so. If you're interested, stick around. It's going to be pretty good. Then, after the break, we will be talking to Ryan Oda, who will be helping us on part three of our series on affordable housing and homelessness in Hawaii. Ryan is a real estate agent, and he will be talking to us about being a millennial, buying homes here in Hawaii. And he's going to you know, give us a little perspective on his gig, what it's like to be out there hustling, trying to hang your own shingle as a young person in Hawaii. It's hard out there in these streets. Yeah, spoiler alert, it's not easy. No. So News in 9, the idea here is uh, because in our 24-7 social media news world, if we wanted to deep dive, dissect, rant, digest every single issue that comes up. We'd be a wreck. It, we would have a 16-hour podcast and essentially a 16-hour nervous breakdown on air. Which would work good as a concept album. It would be a really interesting deep cut for maybe after we maybe after we set up a paywall and like bonus subscriptions and stuff. Like this can be the real exclusive material for Hashtag the, build the wall. The diehard OG. I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah, I did it. I did it. Shout out Donald Trump. Shout out Pink Floyd. That's called conscription. All right. All right, everybody. So right. news is, in nine. Is the timer set? Josh, you were on the clock in three, two... One, go. So the biggest news, obviously, is the aftermath, the continued fallout from the Parkland shooting, school shooting massacre. Donald Trump first blamed the FBI, said they let the shooter out of their grasp. They were too focused on the fake news Russia investigation. So much for giving the victims time to grieve and not politicizing a massive tragedy. Also so much for the whole, like, law enforcement is sacred, blue lives matter, how dare you disrespect the police. Now, Donald Trump says the solution is to arm all of our teachers. Apparently, nobody from the local sheriff's office... Uh, including the armed campus officer who is designated for a situation like this, would go in and confront Nicholas Cruz. But we expect your fifth period algebra teacher to be able to pick up the slack. I'm sure that uh, Miss McCroskey would. Shout out you, Miss McCroskey, 10th and 11th grade math. Yeah. Dude, I mean, mom, I hope you're listening. Carolyn Michaels, 8th grade English teacher extraordinaire. Some of you listeners may have even had her. Can you picture her, like, strapped up with the Glock, getting ready to take aim? If you If you can, you know how disingenuous and silly... And insulting this idea is basically the NRA just wants to sell more guns and they want to keep us all in a state of perpetual terror. So Your we, mom would hold the gun sideways, though. If she was going to shoot somebody, she would totally go sideways. She's an OG. That's very sweet of you to say. Moving on. Far-right media, Fox, Infowars, Breitbart, attacking the surviving teenagers, saying either they're actors, their statements are scripted, and they're being fed anti-gun talking points because 13 is old enough to date Roy Moore, but 18 is too young to have an opinion on guns after 17 of your friends were murdered. At school. On CNN, Wolf Blitzer asked one of the kids what he thought about these conspiracy theories, and he responded, If you had seen me in the school's production of Fiddler on the Roof, you'd know nobody would pay me to act. Also, Wayne LaPierre is trying to capitalize on, on this for his political success by saying that the push for gun control and not wanting crazy people to have assault rifles is, quote, a secret socialist scheme. And what we're trying to do is take all your guns. He's pointing to the growth of 100-plus new Democratic Socialists of America chapters as evidence of this point. DSA, shout out to you, comrades. We're ready to join. We're joining. DSA Honolulu, at DSA Honolulu. Keep an eye out. Our, I think $25 or whatever it is is coming to you shortly. 
And by that same point, DSA, if you want to sponsor us, or maybe sponsorship is the wrong word, if you want to collectively own the means of production with us, get in touch. We ready. Dana Loesch says, crying white mothers are ratings gold. Which is a very nice thing to say if you are the person who's essentially responsible for the death of 17 children. The cross between Sarah Palin and young Charles Manson strikes again. Okay, enough about this. Russia. So, Bobby Mueller, new charges, charges former Scadden Arps attorney. You really should know better guy. Come on. Alex Vanderswan. With Especially making... with a name like that. He, yeah. He's a smart guy if he's oh, got a name like Vanderswan. Yeah, his, of course, like his father-in-law is a Russian oligarch. Totally you know he went shady. to Exeter? <sighs> Bastards. More charges. Trump still won't implement Russian sanctions. Putin sent his FSB and military intelligence guys to D.C. to meet with the CIA and, and the National Security Council. Hmm. Even though they're on the travel ban list. But, you know, basically, Donald Trump... When it comes to travel bans, I think you're focusing on the wrong people. CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference. Also known as the Republican Parade of Horrors. Basically, they kicked off earlier this week. They're concluding today. If you liked the Twilight Zone, but didn't think it was mean enough to poor people and gunshot victims, look no further. Incidentally, guns are prohibited at CPAC. Speakers include Marion Le Pen, granddaughter of Jean-Marie Le Pen and niece of Marine Le Pen from the Front National. Francis, Diversify your names, guys. Francis, they don't like diversity. France's far-right nativist <laughs> party. She said, this is not the France our grandparents fought for. No shit. Your grandparents were Vichy collaborators. Also, she says, just like you, we want that country back. You absolute morons. Have you seen who's running our country? Well, let's talk about it. Who is on the panel and speaker list? Ambassador John Bolton. Dr. Sebastian Gorka, who, uh, if James Bond did a movie where the villain was a crackpot Hungarian fascist with a forged PhD, he'd be probably rejected for casting. Also, Ben Shapiro, heavyweight pugilist on the 14-year-old young conservative debate circuit. Charlie Kirk of Turning Point USA, which if you saw those students uh, protesting and owning the libs by wearing diapers and embarrassing themselves, you get an idea of how what a deep thinker he is. Nigel Farage, the grotesque, xenophobic English dingleberry who also conned the entire country into Brexit. Laura Ingram, Ann Coulter's colder, more distant younger sister. Also... Devin Nunes, no comment needed. And Dana Loesch again, no comment needed. Panels include New Sheriff in Town, How Trump is Taking Down Lawless Government Agencies. These are not jokes. This is real. By making new ones like ICE. Trump's America First Energy Plan, Restoring Our Prosperity and Destroying Eco-Left Memes. They should have just taken out Eco-Left and put Lib. We Refuse to Be Suckers, The New Trump Doctrine. Guys, I have some bad news. I think the ship may have already sailed on that one. American Pie, the courageous chairman of the FCC, hosted by Ajit Pai himself. Can you do that? That is the most awesome name pun for a reprehensible person and idea that I've ever heard. Exporting liberty throughout Asia. We know what that means. Invasions. War. And uh, book signings include Sheriff David Clark, How I Let Four People, Including an Infant, Die in My Milwaukee County Prison. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's called Cop Under Fire. Local news. Cocoa Palms eviction on Kauai is happening yesterday. Watch this space. I highly recommend you check out Will Karen's thoughtful article in the Hawaii Independent. We'll be sharing a link. Opening salvo and shots fired in Hawaii's Congressional <laughs> District 1. <laughs> Doug Chin backtracking on 1995 anti-gay comments. While Three Con minutes left. While Kaniela Ng opens fire. Shout out Ashley Nagaoka at Hawaii News Now. For breaking the story. Doug Chin is apologizing for an anti-gay speech he made more than 20 years ago in church. The angry address, which is delivered, which was delivered at the Oahu Church of Christ, is now being used against him in his race for Congress. The Bible is right. Your family is wrong, Chin shouts in a recording of the 1995 speech. 
Is there any shame in that? What's so bad about that? God is right. Your family is wrong. Uh, for Doug Chen's sake, for the sake of the argument, pretty much everybody on the Democratic Party has evolved. Yeah. Obama, uh, Hillary, Colleen Hanabusa. Colleen Hanabusa and Brian Schatz, when they ran against each other in 2014, this was the exact issue they fought about. You know, 1998, a lot of stuff. Anyway, Chin says... I've really grown up a lot since, and I regret if I had any sort of tone. I apologize if I used anything that caused people to feel uncomfortable or overly guilty. Maybe not the most eloquent apology, but that's It sounds okay. like he really means it. He means, Yeah, he sounds like he's, you know, I don't know. Except... But, uh, except two years ago, his church hosted a conference uh, in which one of the main speakers was a proponent of conversion therapy who said on camera, I have not had a gay sex act in 27 years since my conversion. And people applauded wildly. So there's that. Chin's opponent in the Democratic primary is not buying it. Kaniela Ng is accusing Chin of covering up his true feelings for political gain. He says, to see him fighting for this conservative, anti-gay, anti-woman values for his whole life, then all of a sudden change his mind, is disingenuous. We need people that are going to lead the public in the right place, not just jump on the bandwagon and what helps politically. Speaking of disingenuous, let's talk about Kaniela Ng adding Saito as his middle name on his Facebook profile. Now, it's not technically disingenuous, as I think that is his actual middle name. However, However it's almost as if there's a political advantage to be conferred on him by being Japanese in Hawaii. So, you know, little, hey, is he the first Hawaii politician to make a shameless pitch for AJA votes? I don't think so. For listeners on the mainland, AJA means Americans of Japanese ancestry. Uh, you got 50 seconds left. 50 seconds left. HPD is added again. Surprise. <laughs> Officer fired after violent video surfaced. We'll get his job back by Lynn Kawano, Hawaii News Now. With potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars in Hundreds back and thousands of dollars of back pay. Darren Cachola was caught on video in 2014 fighting with his ex-girlfriend in a Waipahu restaurant. You better speed it up. Got 30 seconds. Uh, Nick Groove is giving a rundown on Civil Beat. Uh, new challenges facing Susan Ballard. She's shaking it up. She's shaking off the, uh, the dirt of Luis K. Aloha, the stink. Uh, and also, Mayor Kirk Caldwell H&L tweeting out, A wallaby is now at the animal hospital at the Honolulu Zoo after apparently being struck by a vehicle in Halava. And now for your intergalactic news. Seven Earth-like bodies were found orbiting a star called Trappist-1, which tra is tra tra the most hood rat name of all celestial bodies. It was a year old, but I just thought for intergalactic news, you know, it works. And one more thought about wallabies. You know, we've got a, we've got a state bird. We've got a state fish. We need a state marsupial. Yeah. Wallaby. Wallaby, Mayor Kirk. Shout out Wallaby, make it happen. Do it. And that's your news in nine. Well, since my baby left me, da -dum. I needed to brew some beer, da -dum. but I have no idea what da -dum. to do, so I'm going to start right here. I'm at Homebrew. Homebrew. Homebrew in paradise. Homebrew in paradise. And in Pulihikai. I said Pulihikai, but it's actually Kalihikai. 740 Mo over our street. In Kalihi. Go buy some stuff from them. We were sailing along on Moonlight Bay. To Kalihikai at Homebrew in paradise. <laughs> And we're back. Ladies and gentlemen, this is our second ever mailbag segment. Number two. Mailbag is where we take questions from you, the audience, our dear, dear listeners, and we try to elaborate a little bit more fully on why we think what we think and do so in a more well-reasoned way uh, without quite the same level of histrionics. This week's question comes to us all the way from the Southeast United States in my home state of Alabama from the wonderful exurb of Birmingham, Alabama, known as Leeds, Alabama. Shout out Leeds, Alabama, home of Charles Barkley. 
This question is War Eagle. War Damn Eagle. This question is about the high cost of college. So we spoke about a couple of weeks ago how with the giant corporate giveaway in the form of the tax plan that the Republicans just passed unilaterally without hardly any hearings, you may recall it, $1.5 trillion tax cut. With that tax cut, the United States could have done innumerable other things Mm -hmm. that would have empirically benefited the society and not quite so literally have given money to the richest of the rich and taken it from the poorest of the poor. One of those things that we harped on quite a bit was that the government could have canceled out every single dollar of student debt in the United States and still had a half billion dollars left over. Instead, uh, I'm Donald sorry, Trump- excuse me, half trillion dollars left over. Instead, Donald Trump's new budget proposes totally eliminating the public service loan forgiveness program because if you wanted to get ahead in life, really, you should follow the Betsy DeVos model and sell Amway. One of the most potent arguments that you hear anytime we talk about student loan debt is, number one, people don't all need to go to school which is the implication is uh, the corporate overlords need a worker class to take care of all of their interests. They want to keep you poor and keep you dumb. Exactly. But the other question that is frequently brought up is why is college so expensive? And so this week we were asked that question and we want to jump into it a little bit more fully. Yeah. So there's no single answer, not surprisingly. It's a couple of things. The first is the lack of investment or the decline in investment from the states in public education. This is part and parcel due to uh, defunding the state in favor of the more anarcho-libertarian policies that have seemingly gripped our country since the advent of Reaganism in the 80s. Now that big big state flagship universities, University of Wisconsin-Madison is a great example. The Wisconsin legislature and Scott Walker, the governor, are totally gutting the budget. The only thing they really care about, as long as the Wisconsin Badgers win football games, that's all they really want the University of Wisconsin to do. And so what you're seeing is a decrease in tax revenue heading to public universities. And who makes it up? The students. It's cost sharing. It's pass the loss on to your customer. And since uh, the United States economy pretty much demands that you have a college education if you want to get truly ahead and have Mm -hmm. a prosperous life outside of a lower middle class existence except in select certain areas you're forced to go on to college and take on that debt the second thing speaking of that debt is the basically ability if not from the federal government then from very 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 unscrupulous private lenders you can borrow unlimited sums of money now and there's no incentive for any college especially private liberal arts colleges to keep any sort of cost down there's zero skin in the game for them. They have a pool of students that is larger than any student pool in history. An estimated 70 million people make up the millennial generation. And of that, 70 million of them have been told that college is the way to a better life. And 70 million of them would also like a better life in the wake of the entire global economy crashing because of their parents. Basic supply and demand. The demand is not going anywhere. The supply pretty much calls all the shots. So they get to set the price. And so what happens is people raise the prices on things. But that's also turned into a third point, which is the arms race for student talent. Colleges are increasingly building uh, what are called vanity structures. They're building uh, libraries, uh, vanity libraries, vanity student centers, vanity Athletic uh, facilities, athletic facilities, student rec facilities. When I got to Auburn, we were very excited about our brand new student center. I would also like to point out Ryan is wearing both an Auburn t-shirt and an Auburn hat. You're GD right I am. War Eagle till I die, baby. Just in case anybody, just in case anybody forgot where he actually went to school, <laughs> I don't want you to forget. That's why I'm doing it. 
And just so all of you know, Josh is wearing a shirt with the color scheme of the restaurant Chili's. Not my intent, but this is fact. This is true. Is that a jersey from somebody? Yeah, it's uh, Indonesia. Indonesian national football team. Remember we were we picked this up in Jakarta. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, I, you were there. I take that back. I mean, it still does look like Chili's, but... Chili's, Indonesian national football team. So when I was at Auburn, we had a lovely new student center. It was three stories and housed multiple functions. It wasn't, it was very nice. It wasn't anything flashy. We were really at the beginning of the arms race. The arms race was, hey, you got to build nice structures. By the time I left, they had built a rock wall, giant indoor pool, multi-level running track and basketball court facility that cost well over a hundred million dollars. I imagine the university president didn't just like give it away as a gift. I imagine somebody had to pay for that. As I understand it, tuition increased. Oh, surprising. And so without getting too far deep into the issue, because we could seriously talk about this forever and a lot of people get paid to do it, we want to present one quick counterpoint. We're pulling, we're cribbing heavily from internet research and we try to make Google. sure that we, it's, it's Google, it's all Google. Shout we, out Google. We try to make sure that we present, present both sides of the argument. So let's give you uh, the side of the argument from Jason Stutman of Wealth Daily. This was the first major article by millennials for millennials, basically calling us out for our BS saying, basically well, self-hatred. Somebody <laughs> asked, why is the cost of college so high? And rather than this guy giving a well-reasoned, honest answer about you know macroeconomics and capitalism, supply and demand, capitalism, uh, here is what Jason Stutman said in his self-righteous way: "Quote: Millennials are a spoiled group of finger-pointing, thumb-sucking crybabies who wouldn't understand the value of free market economics and personal responsibility if Milton Friedman rose from the grave, zombie walked to their houses, and bit off a chunk of their flesh." Thankfully, we don't have to worry about that since Milton Friedman is in hell. Ladies and gentlemen. That's the other side of the issue. So listeners, after last week, we had uh, Anthony Ching, former executive director of the HCDA, Hawaii Community Development Authority, on talking about affordable housing. We asked you all for your stories, and you all responded. We got a lot of really good ones. Here's the best one, in my opinion, that stands out that illustrates what the housing situation is like in Hawaii currently. Best and worst. Absolutely worst. I'm going to keep the writer anonymous, but... Before living with my friend, I used to live in an adorable, in air quotes, one-bedroom apartment. It was on the ground floor of a five-unit building. All within two months, and right before I moved out, I had a stranger show up at my door at 2 a.m. to try to break in. Mm -hmm. My car was broken into while in my stall, and my neighbor passed away. He was actually decomposing for a week before his body was found. He was only found because my other neighbor and I discussed the smell and not seeing him. Now, more than half of my monthly income goes to rent so I can feel safer in my own home. Presented without comment. Presented without comment. Which except, this, for, except for the comment that that's freaking horrifying. That's awful. Uh, and it goes to the interview we'll be doing a little later with Ryan Oda. He is a realtor extraordinaire and specializes in working with millennials and is definitely an authority on the current housing situation in Honolulu. So stay tuned. We're excited to share that with you. And that's our mailbag of the week. In Thailand, you can get 20 years in prison for insulting the king. In Honolulu, you can get 20% off at Royal Thai Garden for mentioning the Blue Hawaii podcast. Royal Thai Garden, Eva Beach, 96706, the best Thai food, the best Laotian food, the best shrimp. Everything is good. Just go there, eat it. It's great. Mention the Blue Hawaii podcast, get 20% off. 20%. Welcome back to the Blue Hawaii podcast. Welcome back. We are very, 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 very... Very excited to be joined by my good friend, Ryan Oda. 
AKA. I'd just like to add one more variant of that. Correction. We are very times 10 excited to have my good friend Ryan Oda, a.k.a. Rhoda, a.k.a. Rhodey, a.k.a. Rhodey Rhodes, a.k.a. Carl Rhodes, a.k.a. Dusty Rhodes, a.k.a. Country Rhodes leading Country Rhodes. Country John Denver. Yeah. Shout out to him. R.I.P. Uh, anyway, Ryan Oda. Welcome to the show, man. Thank you. Here's a little intro. Ryan Oda is a realtor with Ford Realty in Honolulu who specializes in helping millennial first-time homebuyers. He has twice been named as one of Honolulu Magazine's best realtors and is a three-time nominee for the Aloha Aina People's Choice Award. He's an alum of USC and the University of Hawaii, as well as a proud member of the Iolani School, class of 2006, hashtag no koi, hashtag go Raiders, hashtag one team, hashtag healthy sense of shame, hashtag at least we're not Punahou. Ryan. Amen. How you doing today, man? Great. Thank you, Josh. Thanks for being here. Thanks Thank for you, coming Ryan. on, man. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. So Nice name. Beautiful name. Ryan? 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 Hell yeah. Josh Ryan. is the oddball out. It's one of the few times that people not named Josh outnumber people named Josh. There are too many Joshes. There, Fair enough. We need more Ryans. I like this. Thank Amen. You. So, Ryan, there's two... Excuse me, Rhoda. There's two main things we want to ask you about today. Go for it. The first is we want to get your perspective on... The housing squeeze and, you know, the overall cost of living squeeze for young people in Hawaii uh, and what you try to do to work through that to help people achieve their dreams of homeownership, getting in a, getting a place to live. The second thing we want to talk to you about is your work, you know, being a young professional in Hawaii, trying to get out there, hustle, hang your own shingle. We know real estate is a super tough gig. Shout out to my mother-in-law, Auntie Judy Sobin, East Oahu Realty. But anyway, those are the two things we want to talk about. So... You listened to our episode last week. Yes, I did. Last week's episode uh, featuring Anthony Ching, former executive director of the Hawaii Community Development Authority. Check it out on iTunes. Check it out on Google Play. It's good. We're talking about affordable housing. We got the, the sort of the government, the planner, the regulator perspective on our affordable housing dilemma. Now, as somebody who's out actually out there hustling, trying to get people into homes, tell us where your perspective differs. Well, reserve housing is an interesting thing. So what happens is I have clients always interested in these new products. Uh, I think Mr. Ching brought up KQ Lohana's one. Ali is a new product. But what happens is if you buy the reserve housing units, I believe there's a restriction on how long you have to live in it. Mm -hmm. So I kind of look at real estate like owning stocks that you can own it one day. The next day, the market could go good or bad and you should be able to sell it. So if you have all these restrictions, mm -hmm. that's very difficult. And if you look into the paperwork, if you apply to these reserve housing homes, you're getting a lower price than the market units. And what people don't realize is that lower price or the reserve price, eventually you're going to have to pay back a percentage of that from the true market value to what you paid. And there's a formula with HCDA mm -hmm. on, uh, I guess, the equity that you make. And you're paying that money to the state as to you the go. State. So it's like, an, it's like... Yes, you get affordable housing, but you get a little extra tax. Yeah, of. so that's how it works, that the state will regulate the developers and says that if you're building these ultra-luxury homes, you have to provide X amount of homes at this reserve housing cost. So I think if you talk to certain developers, they'll argue, well, our ultra-luxury homes wouldn't be that expensive if we weren't forced to buy reserve housing. So, Which I would actually disagree with. I, I think knowing how the... The market dynamics work having worked for developers in different capacities over the past several years i actually would i'd push back I, I think developers understand that there's a premium for land here in hawaii that new product in terms of condominiums and certainly in terms of rental housing has not been built in a very long time 
in a mass scale. And so I actually would say that the market is the way that developers work is, Hey, I'm going to build this tower and we're going to sell everything on a, they, they look at everything on a dollar per square foot basis. And they'll say, we're going to sell everything at $1,000 per square foot. Well, when the next guy comes along, he's got a new building with new materials. He's seen what the market's done. He's going to go, well, we're going to sell it at a hundred or at a thousand one hundred dollars per square foot the next guy comes along says we're going to sell it at 1200 square foot and so on and so forth and it starts pushing the prices up surely government regulation has something to do with it but no i i actually agree with you you mean i i don't try to take a stance on the issue it's just whatever the client wants so Mm -hmm. my whole goal as a real estate agent is to ensure that my clients know exactly what they're getting into so these new reserve housing units are great it's in a it's going to be Ward Village. I mean, they rebranded that whole place. And when Josh, when we we're in high school, mm-hmm. we went to Ward Theaters, yeah. maybe Kakaako Kitchen. But aside yeah. from that, I don't remember every Kuaaina, Kuaaina Burger, Kuaaina yeah. Burger, but or Pipeline Cafe when we had grad parties. But aside from oh, that, man, yeah, it's all industrial. Yeah, yeah, and so over like what feels like overnight, but really like yeah, it's it's totally flipped. It's you know, basically in like five to ten years, we're gonna. Downtown Honolulu is probably going to look pretty much like San Diego or something like that. Probably. So you are like, as long as, like you said, as long as you're going in eyes open and that's what you want. You want to be in that urban environment. Yep. You want to live, you, you, you're you willing to make those sacrifices in terms of, you know, maybe not being able to like sell your house right away, maybe being stuck in a long term. As long as you go in eyes open, that'll work for you. For sure. Now, if, if somebody comes to you and says like, I don't want to live in Kakaako. Yeah. Well, that, it all starts off. Does with- that even happen anymore? It does. What happens <laughs> is when these new projects come out, I usually get a lot of phone calls, emails, text messages, yeah. and they're like, Oda, what do you know? We go down to the sales center, I research, you know, we walk the communities. But then when you look at all the restrictions that HCDA puts on, you know, the equity thing, yeah. how long you got to live in it, you have to wait years until this thing is being built. People don't want to do that. Yeah. So, you know, there's an example of I helped a classmate of ours and she bought a studio in YPL Gentry. Hmm. So we got it for less than 200000 And in maybe a year and a half or two years, the prices pushed up just on studios about $40,000, $50,000. So just to get into the market yeah. is important. But what you buy is equally important too. Like you shouldn't just rush into it and say, well, this is the only thing I can afford. You have to kind of get this big snapshot, like, could you save more? Can you yeah. cut down your debt? Can you cut down all these trips? You know, do you have to go to Starbucks? And when you realize when you can cut your debt and how much more money you can afford to buy, it's a very eye-opening experience. No, I'm I, glad you mentioned debt. I, I, I would actually say uh, one more thing on the HCDA topic, and I can't remember if this was cut for time or not. Former executive director Ching actually mentioned the long-term sale restrictions as something that he didn't come out and say that he disfavored them, but said that in a lot of cases, people are better off buying market unit or market rate units rather than trying to wait around and get something reserved because of just the same restrictions that you mentioned. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when you buy the reserve housing, don't get me wrong. It's a solution. I don't think that it should be the only solution to helping millennials or just working class people, blue collar people, or just, you know, the transitional from being homeless to going into a shelter to workforce housing to low to moderate income housing to to market units. But that's a big thing. Like if you sell and you have to pay the state back, Mm -hmm. how are you supposed to stockpile money or whatever appreciation to buy the two bed? 
to buy the three bed house like that's very difficult you're almost back at square one and that's an exceptionally good point because most people their primary retirement asset specifically in hawaii but across the mainland too is their home and so if you're not able to bank all of the equity from your home or if say a global cabal of bankers crashed the entire economy for housing in the united states and wiped out all your home equity it essentially wipes out your retirement ability yep. and you're taking your net worth down to effectively zero. Exactly. That's a great point. So on that point, Anita Hofschneider in Civil Beat published an article, study, Hawaii residents are the deepest in debt. And I have a feeling nobody in this room was shocked. I'm pretty deep in debt. Same. In a, and it's not even good debt. Well, I guess, I don't know, but that's not important. In a recent study of household debt, Hawaii came in dead last. Residents of the Aloha State are paying more debt relative to their incomes than residents of any other state, according to a new analysis from Credible, a company that helps consumers compare loan terms. Overall, the study found that the average monthly debt in Hawaii is $1,714, compared to the national average of $1,500 a month for debt, including credit card bills, student loans, and housing. The debt wouldn't be so burdensome if incomes were higher, but the study found that the average income in Hawaii is $56,889. That's a lot lower than other expensive states, like New York, where the average income is nearly $65,000, or California, where the average income exceeds $71,000. So this is just a fact of life. This is something we have to deal with. Our salaries are low. Our rent and our mortgages are just as expensive, if not more expensive, than the highest-end places on the mainland. You mentioned you know, basic household budgeting, things you try to tell your clients. What's the biggest financial challenge they face student loans student loans that's number one by far i mean i just in almost five years of real estate i've had clients who are our age millennials some bought on their own but the mass majority have to get some kind of financial assistance from mom and dad whether it's a form called the gift fund through the letter where the parents gift the money to them or a new trend that i've been seeing and i had a couple buyers is co-ownership with their parents Mm. parents are on the loan parents are on the title with their son or daughter so another trend is multifamily living where I'm same generation or fourth generation in the house that I live in where my great grandma grew up, my grandparents, my mom, and then now my brother and I. So you go to our street in Kaimaki, there's multi-generational families still living there, like original people from the 40s and 50s. I would, I'm not a real estate agent, obviously, but the challenge that I would say as a, as a person who for want of a better term, sort of immigrated to Hawaii, the biggest challenge is not having family members that you can live with. Because everyone I know here who owns a home that's from here lived with lived with their parents well into adulthood to save money. When you compare that to someone like Jordan and I, we're, lit, we're paying all of our own bills. We're not cost sharing with anyone. The only way for us to be able to afford a house is to either A, make a lot of money, uh, which we're not doing, or B, to go to, to have investments elsewhere or to buy a home on the mainland or to do something to sort of finagle the market here to increase our net worth to the point that we can roll it into a home for ourselves. So that might be like, you know, buying multiple studios and putting them on Airbnb or something like that to try and make some sort of supplementary income. Like, in Hawaii. It's, it's not a straightforward path either way. Yeah, no. And, it's, and, it's very difficult. Yeah. But I think, Ryan, you, you said something very... It, it's People need to realize money buys homes. We live in a society that values currency. So it's 
kind of like this blunt thing like my every client goes through especially millennials are like wow that's so expensive and they get some people get caught up on this notion like why is it so expensive and it's just this snowball effect but mm-hmm. at the end of the day money drives the purchases you can't buy in goodwill you know we don't live in a society like that so money talks and they don't care if you're a first-time home buyer sellers whole intent is to maximize or sell the home and try to get the most amount of money but i've had numerous instances where i had clients with low down payments and we weren't the highest offer but in a cover letter i'll explain you know we've been looking this person's going to live here this might be their only home for a long period of time and sellers and their agents will accept their offer so mm. you know there's there's things like that but if you're on the sell side you're always trying to sell the home okay. and try to get the most amount of money yeah. possible. which you can't blame anybody for yeah that's just how it works so now i guess my question clearly we've got you know like we're all we're all sort of beholden to the market we've clearly got uh, the supply and demand we've got a supply issue there's not enough housing we may not be able to rely totally on developer goodwill where do we go from here what does the government and what do private citizens need to do to be able to like help hawaii move in the right direction towards solving this problem i think that's a great question too i mean you you look at the inventory issue you know some people come up to me and they're like hey i heard you can help me and we're talking and i'm talking to this prospective client then they say, oh, I'll just wait till inventory increases. Then I pull out the stats from 34 years. Yeah. You're going to be waiting forever. So, I mean, you look at just Oahu. We have two major mountains, Ko'olau and Waianae. Then we have all these estates, Kamehameha Schools, Damon Estate, Campbell Estate, Castle and Cook, Alexander and Baldwin, and all these large landowners. Then you look at the military and government, federal, state, and local that own land. It leaves about... 10% buildable space. Jeez. So the only way to maximize space, people are saying, is to go vertical. But then if we build these huge condos, people are going to say we're like the mainland. You can't see, you know, the skyline is going to be different than what it was 30 years ago. So Not in my backyard. What happened to my view? Blah, blah, blah. I yeah. think we need affordable housing. But if land is scarce and someone's going to acquire a piece of land for millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars... You're going to think that they're going to maximize profit. It's a sick thought, which is why they probably build luxury condos. And there's a demand for that too. But would it be nice to build transitional housing, workforce housing, and allow these people or developers to price it where there's no like share back of equity? Like once you buy it, you own it. I think in an all perfect world, that would be great. But with only so much land, there's really not much you can do. So... I think with the whole Coal Ridge and Ho'opili finally going up, that should definitely help the inventory. Mm-hmm. But if I'm not mistaken, Coal Ridge has been like delayed for like people, 20 years. I, people have been talking about it for a long time. These these ex- expanding more, yeah. more suburb style, like these are standalone houses. Yep. Okay. But those are, on top of those being, on top of single family homes being an inefficient use of land, they're also an inefficient use of resources. So we have a lot of land out on the western side of the island, Kapole, Makakilo, places like that. But what you're also doing is you're creating a resource strain in terms of water, in terms of sewer, in terms of electrical. You're also creating an infrastructural strain in terms of traffic. More and cars on the road, in. yeah. Yep. Yeah, and what that's going to do is it's going to make traffic worse. It's going to make our roads worse. It's going to have, there's net impacts of that that we're all going to be feeling regardless of if the tower is blocking your view or not. For and sure. What, 
what we're going, in my opinion, as somebody who's worked on the developer side and now has a, a vested interest in maintaining the beauty of this land is we have to just tell people who live on the mountainside, hey, your view is going to change. Like we can't, we can't stop building vertical because we're afraid that people aren't going to be able to see the ocean quite as clearly. Sure, they paid millions of dollars for their homes, but the now we're paying millions of dollars for our like little box. So, exactly. You know, you can you can be okay up there. In Everybody's got house. Everybody has to chip in, and and unfortunately, the people that complain about you know not my view, not my view, not my those are the people yeah. who are chipping in the least on this issue and have the least amount of skin in the game. So again, you can't blame them for being self interested, but at the same time. They've got to get real and understand that we need to start putting towers up. The fact that Mo'ili Ili has no, hardly no tall residential towers is ridiculous. It's near, it's right between the two largest employment drivers on the island and UH Manoa and downtown Honolulu. And we haven't done anything to maximize that residential land. Those, those houses, those like one and two low rise concrete, those have all been there since like the forties, fifties and sixties, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, our family owns a apartment building and our tenants have been there for decades. So, you know, as we were talking about uh, before I jumped on, it's these communities, they built multifamily, they built apartment buildings, but no one, I guess at that time foresaw the use of cars Mm. or going more vertical. And they probably, no one could have foreseen Hawaii growing as much as it did, especially Honolulu. I mean, jet travel was barely even a thing. People were flying over in prop planes at that point. Mm -hmm. Like we weren't, we weren't where we are as society and no one could have seen it coming. We didn't have the Singapore model. I think Singapore was still like an agricultural island at that point. Yeah. Well, Singapore is an interesting thing. Like I try to read up on that and they have a lot of government housing Mm -hmm. or I know the term government housing may have a negative stigma in the United States. But for them, it seems like it's the solution that's been working. And from what I can read, it's like the people are happy, the government's happy, and that's the way to house people. But I think every situation is different. Back to what we're talking about, just there's not enough buildable land. And Mm -hmm. I think it needs to be a joint effort from government to private developers or just uh, homeowners trying to be responsible in the things that you build. Like mega homes is a huge topic yeah. like i don't know if that is actually helping when you build 23 rooms for those of you who don't know on the mainland a mega home is basically uh people are buying up small lots say two to three thousand square feet and they're building a 2800 square foot home on the lot and trying to maximize all of the potential space that they can to create essentially many apartment communities and miniature like compounds. mansions compounds all on one lot and what it's doing is creating a weird traffic issue. It's also driving up the delay times on permitting. It's just making everything harder. And it's also making our neighborhoods ugly. Yeah. The traffic thing is the big one. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a big giveaway when you see like 15 cars in a driveway or just all these cars parked in front of your home and stuff like that. So mega homes is a big one. Also, just to talk, talk about the Kapolei issue. Yeah. We have all that land, but what people don't realize is the employment is still in town. So we need to build or developers or something. Someone needs to build opportunities to work in West Oahu. Or people as a, or we as a state need to come up with some sort of solution to transport people from the West side of the Island to in town. Well, that's true. Like a rail that, but we'll see. Here's another thing people overlook too. Josh and I went to private school, went to Iolani. You can have a beautiful home in Kapolei 
But if you work in Kapolei and your kids go to, you want to send your kids to Ponoho, Midpack, or one of the private schools. You better put those kids on the train. Yeah. Yeah. But that leads to a safety issue too now. I mean, there's all these layers of what can we do? So it's a very complicated issue. And we've been trying, like, as long as, long as I can remember, you know, Kapolei, that's always been the plan. Like, Kapolei is the second, the second city. city. Yeah. But it's all well and good to say that. But has anything actually been done to, other than, you know, I know they moved a courthouse out there. They put a water park out there. They put some, a few, like, shopping. state agencies I, out there, a shopping center. Yeah. But, like, so from a developer perspective, things have been done. I mean, there's a huge shopping center. Again, there's tons of houses. The problem is that is a that plan for Macapolay to be the second city was drafted probably in the 70s or 80s when we were building under a suburban model mm-hmm. of residential development. And you see that same plan is still in in play in places that have huge issues with urban sprawl, like Phoenix, like Dallas, like Atlanta. Uh, you see that same model working. The problem is the externalities of what it creates. It creates, again, traffic will be miserable as you're putting it already on. is it, it is i mean it to commute from coppola to town can be anywhere from 30 minutes to three hours and that's not an exaggeration i mean if there's a wreck on the road be prepared to wait at least two to three hours at least it, sometimes I mean, more mm-hmm. it can yeah. it can literally i know people that work out west that come into downtown that get up at five and leave in, at five in the morning so they can beat traffic to get in town and it's it's a real problem. So it's like our development scheme is outmoded for the actual realities of what we need. We're building under old assumptions. Yeah. Well, I mean, according to the board of realtors, uh, Milani was the hottest neighborhood this past January. Mm-hmm. And I just wrote a blog about it. And it's basically my theory is why was it good? There's a, there's a bunch of different types of homes, single family, condos, new, old, mm-hmm. big lots, small lots. It's not just the type of homes, though. It's at different price points. And I believe Kapole, Eva, and Makakilo are just like Milani. You can buy that studio or one bed and not break the bank. Yeah. You can buy that two bed where you just get married and you and your wife or you and your spouse can move in. And then you can buy that dream home as your third house and it's your final home. But are you willing to make the sacrifice to commute? Yeah. The, That's the, the big driving factor. The problem is it's a bandaid on a bullet wound where... You can go buy your home and that's awesome, but it comes at a cost and it comes at a cost not only to you, but to everyone else. And that's, I mean, we talked about a 10% available land to build, but to build a uh, a 400 unit, 400 foot tall tower takes, you know, maybe a block worth of land. We could build one of those. We could, we have a, a mandate to achieve 25,000 units of affordable housing. So we would need to build what 40 of those no i'm sorry 80 of those so we would need 80 blocks of of something similar to that and we have that land in town we have to but it's it's an the issue is we have to build vertical and we have to build densely and also you're gonna have to like eminent domain all the people who already live there find them places to live it's gonna be a huge which there's exceptionally strong precedent for yeah i mean it is, it's the the government can absolutely the government has the power to do it but there's probably zero political will there's which and is another huge problem. Zero promise of anything happening at the state legislature or city county level. Well, well because yeah. at, at the end of the day, too, I mean, the majority of the population is still from here. Yeah. And uh, as somebody told me when I lived, when I first moved here, multi-generational housing, which Ryan brought up earlier, is how we hide our poverty. It's how we, yeah. we have four generations of people living in a house so that if, you know, mom and dad make 60 grand a piece, 
you know, Tutu has an income making 30 grand a year in pension. And then me and Jordan make a hundred grand a piece or 50 grand a piece, excuse me. We're all living pretty well. And we're, if our mortgage is 4,000 bucks, we're all paying like maybe six, $700, which is affordable. And so for now we can hide the problem, but that problem is going to come back and, and bite us. And, you know, with all due respect to white politicians, uh, we're not known for taking on proactive. big challenges yeah. in a proactive manner. Well, I think it also is the consumer too, you know, if you're going to live at home, you shouldn't be ashamed to live at home. No, not That's at all. The good thing is about Hawaii is we've always, our, our culture, multi-generational family stuff, there's never been a stigma in the way that there is on yep. the mainland. That's and a great even point. The, the, the way the millennials on the mainland are suffering, like more and more of them are staying with mom and dad longer. So yeah. Hawaii is actually like, we're ahead of the game. Yeah. Like if your parents are going to charge you rent, which I think at times is fair, you should try to have that conversation with your parents. I tell my friends, like, you know, if you're going to pay full market rent, maybe renting from your parents might not be the best option and you can get more freedom. But if your parents are going to charge you less than market rent or no rent at all, you have to be savvy enough or have a financial advisor to help you to save, mm-hmm. save, save, save and invest, pay down your debt. It's really that simple, but it's like this thought that I don't know, maybe it's just our generation that people don't understand that you need money to buy things like you have to have less debt and more income. You heard it here first, folks. You need money to buy things. There you go. Game changer. Yolani education. One team. <laughs> math math Private bowl, worth it. Math bowl. State champions every year. Come at us. Prop, prop, prop. So e- Ryan, let's Economic switch. champs too, I think. <laughs> Shout out Colonel Rankin. Colonel Rankin. Love that guy. Uncle Dick. Yeah. <laughs> wow. He probably doesn't know who I am. It's fine. Um, so let's, let's shift gears. Let's talk about you. Yes. Yeah. So you're out there hustling. Yep. Real estate. Yep. Making it rain. Trying to. What's a typical day for you? Like get up pretty early, watch Bloomberg news, check the stock market. Being a real estate guy, I'm really interested in the stock market. It's kind of like a weird thing. You either people say you're one or the other. So you voted for Trump, right? I mean, like he's doing great. No, no, did not. <laughs> did not. Put me on the spot there. When Trump, actually, now that you're on that topic, when he actually announced he was going to run, I was kind of hopeful that maybe he had all this TV personality and he was going to get serious. That I think it, we all hope that. Yeah. Best case scenario, right? You know, but I know, I know people that voted for Trump and these people are actually like really nice people. So it's like, try not to get too political into yeah. things. But uh, back to your question. But they're all idiots. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Savage. (laughs) But anyway, I wake up pretty early and I just like to work. I mean, it's that simple. I'm at it seven days a week. I'll call my broker at midnight. You know, we're on a company trip in Vegas. Um, My broker took us up and we're on the blackjack table. And due to the time difference, my client calls is like, I want to write this offer. So I'm on a heater in the blackjack table. My broker's like, where are you going? I'm like, I got to write this offer. Worked in an ER hospital bed. Uh, because I had a big deal pending. I even worked the day of my wedding. Tell me, tell me, tell me. How did you end up in the ER hospital bed when you were working? Uh, food poison. Oh. Massive food poison. From where? I don't want to mention. But my, my wife... But you will not be getting a restaurant shout out if you get Rhoda food poisoning. My Promise. wife actually called the ambulance. Like it was... Is that bad? They said if I didn't come in, I probably could have sustained kidney damage due to dehydration. Wow. Yeah. Lindsay Arakawa, shout out to you. Class of 08. Taking, oh, wait. Ca- taking care 4.2 4.3 gpa um, sh- yeah my my what was flip those two numbers that was probably my gpa <laughs> it's a track one was probably mine <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean I, I love what i do i just i love to work it's up early work late 
you know, I've shown properties because my client gets off of work late at midnight. Mm-hmm. I've, you know, writing offers at 2 a.m. And I, people think I say that just to impress people. Hustle gang, baby. It's the truth. Like if you're someone that I'm helping, it's not uncommon to get emails at like 4 a.m., 5 a.m. or like 2 a.m. or mm-hmm. midnight. So to me, there's an abundance of realtors and the way I beat other people's work ethic. So now how did you first decide to get into real estate? Well, I actually have a master's in education. So I was trying to be a teacher in the public school system. I think I applied to close to 100 jobs locally and uh, on the mainland. Could not get a full-time teaching job. Oof. So my great uncle, who was in real estate, and he was a leasing and sales agent, and he did association management. So he convinced me to take the real estate exam. Okay. And he's like, I'll pay, help you pay for it. That is a great uncle. Yeah. So I uh, took the class and one day at work, I just put in my two week notice at the school I was working at and I haven't looked back. I mean, I've always kind of had this personality of being more reserved and not my brother is more of that go getter, like I'll figure it out. So to make that jump and not know if I had a parachute was scary, Sure. but it's been, like I said, almost five years. So it's probably one of the best decisions of my life. boy. Good for you, man. Now, how is your job as a real estate agent different in Hawaii than it might be on the mainland? I think it's pretty comparable. I mean, the challenges I face as an agent and other agents also face is the same. I mean, I don't get paid if I don't represent a buyer or seller. If you're in property management or leasing where there's commercial residential, you don't get paid unless someone signs the lease. So I'm straight sales. And if I don't have a buyer or seller... I don't get paid. So it's a grind. It's hard. I mean, you have to be savvy with your money. You have to manage your money well, and you have to just connect with people. So like I said, I think work ethic is my thing that I'm most proud of, but also... Iolani no koi. Yeah, Iolani. Work ethic. That's what it taught us. Sink or swim, baby. <laughs> Basically what it yeah. is. And uh, providing solutions to problems. I think it, real estate on the residential side is very... It's like a step one step two step three and there's an abundance of agents unfortunately that just push you through the process but i've been fortunate to work with great brokers and have great co-workers that really get in the trenches and work the problem that one of my goals for the client is to explain the whole process so when you sell or when you become a homeowner you can walk away and be like i understood everything from start to finish whether it's maybe in great detail or in, you know, maybe just a, a summary, like, you know, what escrow is or the Bureau of Conveyance mm-hmm. and you know what section J1 of the purchase contract is. That's my goal is just to have that understanding and just to educate people. So I know we're coming up against time here, but I, I want to ask for anybody listening right now, what would you have them know about buying a home in Hawaii? It's difficult. Don't don't be in denial about prices but there are solutions and i specialize in millennial first-time home buyers like that is my niche and i think a lot of agents don't want to work with that type of people whether it's the stigma of millennials Mm -hmm. or just these people don't have enough money but it's very very possible to own a home have you found the stigma of millennials to be true as speaking as a millennial yourself not really the millennials that I work with that approach me that want to buy homes are very responsible individuals. It's almost as if all of the boomers and every generation that comes before 
wants to talk shit about the next generation and that's just how it goes also there's a dog at the window and then my last question is if someone listening is say inspired to reach out and contact you how would they do that just go to our website for realty.com can you spell that f-o-r-w-a-r-d realty.com and all my info is there or you can just go to my website www.ryanoda.com and that's r-y-a-n-o-d-a.com correct and i uh, write a real estate blog about mainly about millennial related topics that's kind of how i get my ideas is since i do a lot of millennials that uh, write about topics to help millennials become homeowners or if you're already a homeowner what you can do to make that next step awesome ryan will you stick around and do some shout outs with us yes i will awesome. all right ryan oda millennial realtor for millennials small kind business owner you could say sole proprietor all around good guy ryan thank, thank you. you hashtag realtor rota shout outs shout outs let's do them shout out to usa women's hockey Beat Canada 3-2 in the shootout to win gold. Dun, 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 dun. Everybody stand up. Don't you dare, Neil. Jocelyn Lamaru davidson put the Canadian goalie on her butt with a sensational juke. Slots home for the winner. Canada had not lost in the Olympics in 20 years since we beat them in the 1998 Olympic gold medal game. USA! USA! And this morning, men's curling won the gold after knocking off Canada and then Sweden. They were in 7th place. They were 2 wins, 4 losses. They came last in 2010. They were next to last in Sochi. They were looking at another fail. They had to run the table, and they did. To be honest, like I wish that it could have been any other country than Canada. Like I love Canada. Not during the Winter Olympics, though. I mean, they they are like the the goat Winter Olympics. Actually, Norway is the goat Winter Olympics. They're the second. The, goat. They're the they're they're the North American goat. The mini goat. Shout well, the, out to the movie Black Panther. Wakanda Forever. I saw it on Tuesday. Shout out Ward Theaters for $7 Tuesdays. Used to be $6 Tuesdays, but I do forgive you. Josh saw it last weekend. It's an awesome movie. Yeah. And also shout out to Ben Shapiro and all the other angry... Racists. ...butthurt people on the internet saying, well, you know, I don't understand what the big deal is. Like, there have been plenty of black people in movies before, and Wakanda's not even a real place. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you were saying that about Hogwarts, Westeros, Narnia, Middle Earth... Literally any other place Literally any for other people. Yeah. The, I'll tell you what the big deal is about Black Panther. I grew up in probably one of the most segregated cities in the country still, Montgomery, Alabama. And then I also just moved back to Hawaii several months ago from Atlanta, another very segregated city. Both of them have very strong black populations. And here in my mind is what the big deal is, is that you have a generation of children who for the first time and potentially ever forever have... I have an option of looking at someone who is better than their problems, who is better than their station in life, who's raised themselves up into greatness in a moral, enlightened, powerful way. And that person looks like them. And to act like it doesn't matter is, number one, incredibly disingenuous, yeah. else Ben Shapiro and all his colleagues would not be making these arguments. No, just like just like Dana Loesch talking about crying white mothers, they all claim to be like, well, racism doesn't matter, racism doesn't exist, I don't see color. It's a lie. It's all it, bullcrap. It's a complete lie. These children now have a role model. There's going to be a nation of kids who can now look up to, who can say to themselves, you know, I want to be like the Black Panther rather than I want to be like Superman. Yeah. Or I don't need to be ashamed of where I come from. Not at all. And it's going to, those sorts of things are hard to measure. Yep. And so I don't think that we favor them in our society, but they have a 
palpable impact on pretty much every facet of social life in the United States. All right, up yours, Ben Shapiro. Ryan, uh, excuse me, Rhoda, what are we shouting out? Two nonprofit organizations. One is Camp Poi, which stands for Kids at Risk Mentoring Program, run by Aaron Kamal. Used to coach with uh, Aaron Kamat Farrington. Go Govs. Uh, go Govs. Ben Cayetano. Did he go to Farrington? Yep. Shout out New Hope Oahu, which was there for a while, I guess. Are they Sh- still there? No. Maybe. When the know. roof fell in, they moved over to their place on Sand Island because I don't think they could afford the rent anymore. Interesting. Shout out Inside Church Politics. Go Govs, though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, second one is the Kai Program, which is a organization within Iolani School run by Allison Blankenship. Shout out Allison Blankenship. And they... Not the Allison Blankenship. That's my friend that's probably listening on the mainland. You also know Allison Blankenship. What a Bet your buttons. Is I she do. related to uh, Todd Blankenship? That is Allison's husband is Todd. So Allison and Todd are both Iolani grads. No koi, baby. Iolani one team. And they help uh, Jarrett Middle School students come over to Iolani uh, during the summers and provide leadership and educational programs. Awesome. Share Shout it. out. Share it, baby. Yeah. Shout out in Mazel Tov, as Josh might say, to former NBA legend Amari Stoudemire for launching a new line of kosher wines. Just in time for Purim. The name is very original, the Stoudemire Private Collection. Uh, Amari Stoudemire is the part owner of Israeli basketball team Hapoel Jerusalem, who he finished his career with after playing for the Suns, Knicks, Mavs, and Heat in the NBA. Also, Amari Stoudemire puts on a big man camp every single year uh, that if you've seen me play basketball, as I am for some reason at six feet, the tallest man in Hawaii, uh, you also, realize- I, I need to I need to interrupt. This aggression will not stand. The only reason I am not on Ryan's basketball team is because they cap the height at six one. It's heightest. It's bigoted. It's unfair. Josh is like six four. And just stop it. Uh, anyways, I it's need not to go right. to Amari Stoudemire basketball camp. That's all I was trying to say. Anyway, Amari says I prefer to keep the wines strictly from the grapes in Israel. It's my way of giving back to the land. I do what I can to stay rooted. Stoudemire identifies with the Hebrew Israelites, African-Americans who believe they are connected to the biblical Israelites and adhere to some Jewish customs. A kosher wine is always important for us because you can drink those during the high holy days, he said. So if you're looking to get drunk and celebrate the Holy Land and also like a really, really uh, versatile paint player whose career was unfortunately cut short due to chronic knee problems, have a sip. Let's do some restaurant shout-outs. Rhoda, guest first. Laliha Bakery. Laliha Bakery, tell us about it. What do you like about it? it? Point mochi donuts. Always pick that up. Can't uh, go wrong with that. Oxtail soup, hamburger steak. Is it better than the oxtail soup at Zippy's? Yes. It Fighting words. Is. Is it Ashley Loa, you heard it. Is it better than the oxtail soup at Cam Drive-In? Cam Drive-In is pretty good. It's yeah. kind of comparable. One thing I don't like about Hawaii is that we call so many things drive-ins. Like, I know, like, shut up, Hallie. But, like, we have real drive-ins on the mainland. Like, drive-ins here are literally just restaurants. Whatever like, you say, colonizer. You, you just drive up, you park, you get out. You're not driving in anywhere. Somebody tell me why we call them drive-ins. Used to be KC Drive-In, Kapahulu, mm-hmm. where they had a car hop. But that has since been long gone. Yep. Now I feel bad. R.I.P. Used to eat Locomoco every day as a kid there, every Saturday morning. Rainbow Drive-In. There's no car hop there. There could be. There is if you, you make one. Just drive in. All right. See what happens. I will. Uh, Josh, what you got? I'm shouting out Chin Chin. Uh, I don't know if restaurant, bar, restaurant Both. and bar. Yeah. They got a lovely rooftop up in Chinatown, 39 Hotel Street, right next to Bar 35. There is no sign at the door. Basically, go to Bar 35. And then go upstairs. And go upstairs. One more unit to the right. Good wine, 
great fries and truffle oil cheese plate blow your mind beer is good not too expensive we may have pahanted there last night we literally pahanted there last night shout out to everybody who came out shout out uh bolsa, bolsa. shout out denver coon shout out alex coon shout out size for impala works for me shout out nahe my shout out this week bethel union shout out bethel union uh, it is a high-quality food and drink establishment on Bethel Street across from the Hawaii Theater. has an excellent selection of wines, has a great bartender named Kevin who makes delicious cocktails, has phenomenal options for meatless and carnivorous diners. Their pasta is amazing. The ambiance is great. The build-out and just the, the vibe of everything is great, as well as the service. And because we're talking about restaurants, we would be very remiss to not remind everyone, Royal Thai Garden in Eva Beach, best Thai food on the island. Mention us, get 20% off. Also, just one more cursory shout out to our favorite sponsor. That's Homebrew in Paradise. Homebrew in Paradise. Whatever you want. If you're trying to make your beer, trying to make your wine, trying to make your foods, your fermented foods, your ciders, whatever it is, head on down to Homebrew in Paradise. Ask for Bill. Mention the Blue Hawaii Podcast. He's going to cut you a sweet deal. And we want him to keep sponsoring us. Take it back to the old school because I'm an old fool because I'm so cool. Shout out Iwani Maintenance. Maintenance crew. Crew. Lloyd Stern. Evan Roberts. Stevie Roberts. Nick the Trick. Coho. Uh, Woody Milks. We got it. Blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii.